Hi, hi, hi. It's time to hit the math grind. Welcome back to After Class with Miss Dongbin, our second podcast for our geometry feed. How exciting. Okay, well, this week was a shortened week thanks to Labor Day. We already had a day off, so we only have three days to recap because Friday we have a quiz. So hopefully you're listening to, to this before then. Hopefully this week we also got some good news and some good luck with our technology. If we're still having trouble, don't worry. If you miss something, you can always make up any homework for full points at any time. You just have to let me know when you turn it in. So I guess it's time to get into the taste topics. Okay, so it's time to talk about our Mathematician of the Week. We didn't talk about him until Wednesday because, well, first of all, we didn't have school on Monday. Uh, Actually, we didn't talk about him until Thursday, so he got a little bit of a shortened week. His name is Nathaniel Knox. He was born in 1942 and is still alive. Isn't that quite awesome? We love when our mathematicians are still alive. He has a PhD from the University of South Carolina. He got that in 1974. His dissertation title was the inverse of the semigroup co- co-product of the non-empty collection of groups. He has an MAT um, from Duke University. He got it in 1968, and he got his BS from Benedict College in 1964. I think the really interesting points that we should be looking at is when he got his degrees. 1964 was in the middle of the civil rights uh, movement, so he was literally on the cusp of change as he was getting his degrees, meaning that he was literally right there. He was 22 probably when he graduated. Um, from Benedict, uh, you know, from Benedict College in 1964. So that means he was right in the middle of it, and at, during a time when a lot of um, mathematicians were predominantly white males, he um, stuck out, and he is still doing a lot of really cool work. So let's give it up for Nathaniel Knox. Club going up on the Tuesday. Okay, let's get started talking about Tuesday. So on Tuesday, we did day two of 1-2, and we also started targets 2-1 and 2-2, which we are doing together. So the targets we did were identify and name parts of circles, and then make conjectures by applying inductive reasoning and recognize the limits of inductive reasoning, as well as use deductive reasoning to prove that a conjecture is true, develop geometric geometric and algebraic arguments based on deductive reasoning. Um, So... Today was our first day back from our long weekend, so I hope everyone had a good one. Um, for our lesson, we started off with the circles. So we learned that a chord is a circle of a circle is a segment with both endpoints on the circle. So it doesn't matter where, just both endpoints have to be somewhere on the circle. The diameter is a chord that passes through the center of the circle. So chords don't necessarily have to pass, pass through the center of the circle. But as soon as you hear diameter, it's a chord, which means both endpoints are on the circle, but it has to also pass through the center of the circle. And then the radius is a segment with one endpoint on the circle and one endpoint in the center of the circle. So it's like half a diameter. So we went through and we drew a couple of those and we talked about how the center of a circle is called the center. And then we also talked about concentric circles, meaning they have the same center and how you have to be very specific when naming certain geometry shapes. You can't be broad because technically if you're ambiguous, it could also represents something else. So we want to make sure we're justifying our choice and proving with evidence that shows that our choice is correct and reasonable for things. After that, we did a check for understanding where we just kind of drew some circles. And then you did went into the homework or into lesson 2-1 part or the second part of the lesson, which was 2-1. So here we had a lot of vocabulary word and we're doing a lot of patterns. So we, were, we wanted to know that the ability to recognize patterns is a super important aspect of mathematics. Math is just all patterns. So when we observe a pattern, 
that's an actual real pattern that continues beyond the observed case, we want to know what that's called. So we were um, exploring our inductive reasoning, which is the process of observing data, recognizing patterns, and making a generalization. The generalizations you make during inductive reasonings are called conjectures. So first, we talked about five students who all went to a party and three of them got sick with the pasta salad. We didn't know it was pasta salad, but we were trying to make a conjecture based on all the knowledge we had on the food they ate. So what was this, what were the same foods they ate? Did they all eat something similar? They had all eaten the pasta salad, so we can make a conjecture that the pasta salad made all, all of the three students ill. So then we went on and we had a bunch of patterns. So we were trying to figure out the next two terms in the pattern, which is kind of an important thing for your quiz, being able to figure out what the next two are in a pattern. Did you hear that? Figuring out the next two places in a pattern is on the quiz. So we did four of those and we were just looking to see what we could do. So one of them switched between letters and numbers and the letters skipped a letter and then numbers went up by four. Another, you had to multiply the next, the thing before by three. There was a lot of different ones, so we have to be able to see patterns. And then we talked about how many points on a circle um, and how those points, when you connect the points with a line, how, how many numbers of non-overlapping regions were formed. We made a conjecture that the number of points on a circle would multiply by two as the points went up. So the number of points on a circle, if there were two, we'd have two non-overlapping regions. If there were three, we'd have four. Four, we'd have eight. Five, we'd have 16. Six, we'd have 32. And then we proved that by actually drawing on our circle and connecting the lines and counting how many non-overlapping areas we had. Then we went to a check your understanding where we talked about being able to see patterns that aren't just numbers and letters, but are pictures and how we flip them. And then also basically um, Anya went tra is training for a 10K. We wanted to figure out how many miles she ran. We wanted to conjecture how many miles she ran for four. Uh, for week four. Then we went on to lesson 2-2 where we only talked about our definition. So I'm going to read to you again what we read. In mathematics there are certain methods methods and rules of argument that mathematicians use to convince someone else that a conjecture is true even for cases that extend beyond the observed set of data. So they work for basically anything is what that's saying. These rules are called rules of logical reasoning or rules of deductive reasoning. Deductive being our key word. So logical reasoning is deductive reasoning. An argument that follows such rules is a proof. So how do we make sure it's deductive reasonings? We follow, we uh, make an argument that's called a proof. And then a statement or a conjecture that's been proven um, is established as true without a doubt is called a theorem. A proof transforms a conjecture into a theorem. So if we have a conjecture and we figure out that it's true without, beyond doubt, it's a theorem. So that's basically all we talked about on Tuesday, you guys. Your homework was page 10, problems 11 through 15, page 17, 11, 12, and 14. Make sure you get that turned in if you haven't, but I guess we'll move on to Wednesday now. It is Wednesday, my dudes. Okay, my dudes, it's Wednesday. Um, so basically on Wednesday, we talked about something called two-column proofs. So our target was I can use properties to complete algebraic two-column proofs, a.k.a. the bane of some of your existence. I'm just kidding. When I was in geometry, I didn't like them, but now I think they're kind of fun. So we went over our quiz, um, which you got back, um, and our target tracker sheet and your reflection um, form. So make sure you submitted that because otherwise I will bother you about that. Our homework was page 28 problems 8 through 12 and we have a quiz on Friday and your quiz with fraction was also due if you haven't finished it. So after we went through the quiz we 
got right into our notes after we finished our reflections. So we were on page 25 and we were doing 3-1. The targets from the book were distinguish between undefined and defined terms and use properties to complete algebraic two-column proofs, aka the important thing here. So we talked about how geometry is an axiomatic system. That means that from a small basic set of agreed-upon assumptions and premises, an entire structure of logic is devised. Many interactive computer games are designed with the same kind of structure. A game may begin with a basic set of scenarios. For these scenarios, a gamer can devise tools and strategies to win the game. Okay, so basically what that's saying is in geometry, there are these four basic things we call axioms, and everything in geometry Every definition is based off these four axioms, these undefined, defined terms, these terms that we all disagree. That's the definition. And we use them to define everything else. So the term line segment can be de defined in terms of undefined terms. So a line segment is part of a line bounded by two points. So an example of an undefined term is a point. We just all know what it is. It's undefined, but defined. So then we went through... Um, our new vocabulary terms and defining words that would be helpful. So we don't want to use words that we don't know when defining them. We want to use words that we do know, which is how we when we use these undefined terms. So we use the fundamental undefined terms. Most of the ones we use are point, line, and plane. And then we want to define some points, some things that we already know. So like array, collinear points, or coplanar. So we used array is bounded by one endpoint and extends in one direction. Um, collinear points are points on the same line. And coplanar points are points that, sorry, lie in the same plane. So we talked about that. And then we also did the same thing because angle is also defined by um, a figure that's formed by two rays with a common endpoint. So since rays are already defined by our undefined things, we can define an angle now. So we went and defined complementary angles, which we know are two angles that measure uh, the measure that the measure up that the sum of the measures equals 90 degrees, and then we did supplementary, which is the sum of those measures equal of those angles equal 8, 180 degrees. And then we went into our proofs. Um, so we talked about the addition property of equality, the subtraction property of equality, multiplication property of equality, and division property of equality, aka our pose, our properties of equality of Poe. Um, we talked about the distributive property, reflexive, symmetric, transitive, and substitution property. So remember um, to look at these properties because they're really going to help you with the proof. So let's dive in. The addition property of equality is saying if A equals B and C equals D, then A plus C equals B plus D. So they're using all these undefined terms, these variables, just for general things. So it's saying if you have like five clubs. 5 equals 5, and 2 equals 2, then 5 plus 5 equals 5, or 5 plus 2 equals 5 plus 2. So we're doing the same thing for the subtraction saying if A equals B and C equals D, then A minus C equals B minus D. The multiplication property of equality is saying if you have something like A equals B, if you multiply one side by C and then you multiply the other side by C, they're both going to be the same. So if A equals B, then C times A equals C times B. The division property is the same thing as the multiplication, but instead division. So if A equals B, um, then A divided by C equals B divided by C. That only works with the thing, the quotient, is not being divided by zero. The distributive property is saying that if there is a, a number or a variable outside the parentheses, you can distribute it and multiply by both things, and it will equal the same thing. The reflexive property is saying um, one side of the equal sign is equal to the other. It doesn't matter the order. 
Um, same with the symmetric. So if A equals B, then B equals A. Transitive property says if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. And then the substitution property says if A equals B, then A can be substituted for B in any equation or inequality. So we went on to talk about how uh, to solve some problems using those. And we what happened was we then started doing proofs where each step we would write out what property we were using. So that's why they're called two column proofs. One is the statements, so the math. The other is the reason, so our words like our properties of equality or substitution property or transitive property. Those things are the things you're going to put there. So we went through a few of these together. Um, we stopped and I had you do one and then after you did it and unpaused, and then I came back and did it with you. And then we had a check for understanding. And once we got to our check for understanding, which we did, we talked about how what was wrong with the proof and how you have to make sure you're doing when you have an equation. If something's being multiplied to get rid of it, you have to divide it. So you're always doing the opposite. Um, and then you got sent off to do your homework. So it was kind of a long day, kind of a long lesson. But again, super important. Two column proofs are very, very important to the rest of geomet geometry. So if you're confused on this now, make sure you ask questions. But otherwise, uh, you should be all good. Make sure you do your homework and you turned in your reflection assessment form or your assessment reflection form. So I guess it's time to move on to Thursday. Okay, just remember Thursday. Thursday. Can you remember Thursday? <laughs> yeah, so Tuesday? <laughs> Thursday. Look, if you need help remembering, just think of it like this. The third day, all right? Monday, one day. Tuesday, two day. Wednesday, when? Huh? What day? Thursday. <laughs> the third day, okay? Okay, so what did we do on Thursday, Thursday, Thursday? Our target for Thursday was I can identify the hypothesis and conclusion of a conditional statement and give counterexamples for false conditional statements. Your homework was page 31, problems 8 through 12. You had the optional review for the quiz, and the quiz is tomorrow. So make sure you are doing everything you need to do to review. On the quiz, we will do targets 1-2, um, day 1, and 1-1. For the first, for the second time, so those will go in the gradebook after this, and then we will also have all our new targets. So one two, day two, two one, two two, three one, three two, and to um, well today's is three two, and that will be it. So those will all be said for the first time. Your optional assessment review is going to look very similar to the assessment, very very similar. So I'd make sure I do that, and that's going to help you out. But again, it is optional. So we went to 3-2 conditional statements. It was on page 29 in our book. And the targets on in the book said, I identifying the hypothesis inclusion of the conditional statement and give the counterexample for false conditional statements, which were important because those are the targets that are going to be tested on, that you are going to be tested on. So we learned about rules of logical reasoning. They involve using, okay, so rules of logical reasoning involve using a set of given statements along with valid arguments to reach a conclusion. So statements to be proved are often written in a if-then form. So if this, then that. An if-then statement is called a conditional statement. So conditional statements are the if-then or if-then statements. In a statement, the if part is the hypothesis and the clause is the conclusion. So the then. So if is the hypothesis, the then is the conclusion, and we basically went over a bunch of conditional statements and figured out what the hypotheses were and what the conclusions were. So the first one we did was if 3, then in parentheses times x plus 2, out of the parentheses minus 1 equals 5x plus 11, then x equals 3. So the conclusion was x equals 3, the then part, and the if 
our hypothesis was the 3 times x plus 2 minus 1 equals 5x plus 11. So then again, we did these, try these. So if x plus 7 equals 10, then x equals 3. What's the hypothesis? x plus 7 equals 10 is the hypothesis. What's the conclusion? x equals 3. How we, what property of equality did we use to justify that conclusion? Well, if x plus 7 equals 10, you're going to subtract 7 from both sides, and you're going to get x equals 3. So it's the subtraction, po, the subtraction property of equality. And then basically what we did is we had some statements, and we, recited th we restated them into if-then statements. So it says, I'll go if you go. So we said, if you go, then I'll go. There is only, there is smoke only if there is a fire. So if there is smoke, then there is a fire. Because if there is smoke, there has to be a fire, according to that statement. And then we had x equals 4 implies x squared equals 16. And we put if x equals 4, then x squared equals 16. Because if we flipped it, it could be true, but it could also be false because x could equal negative 4. Because negative 4 squared is also 16. So make sure you're being careful with your order. We then went through um, counterexamples. So, and if an if-then statement is false, if an example can be found for which the hypothesis is true and the conclusion is false, that is an example of the counterexample. So, a false conditional statement can be if two numbers are odd, then the sum is odd. So, the hypothesis there is two numbers are odd. The conclusion is their sum is odd. So, what's a counterexample for that? Take any odd numbers. I took one and three. Add them together, does it equal an odd number? Well, no, because 1 plus 3 equals 4. So then that is false. That is a counterexample. After that, there were some checks for understandings that talked more about if-then statements. So remember, if is the hypothesis, then is the conclusion. So I, so it, HC, it, HC, because I for if is the hypothesis. Um, then for t in it is the conclusion, so i, t, h, c, remember that, if, then, hypothesis, conclusion, that is the order. So after that, um, it was basically a really short lesson. All you had to do was your homework, and you could start your optional quiz. Um, let me know if you need anything. Make sure you get your homework turned in, and make sure you're studying for your quiz. Have a great rest of your Thursday. You may be wondering why there is a Friday portion of this episode. Well, what is on Friday? The assessment. And I guess what I have in front of me, the assessment. So again, you're getting uh, tested over targets 1-2, or 1-1, 1-2 part 1, 1-2 part 2, 1- and 2-2, 3-1 and 3-2. So there's going to be six sections. It's not going to take that long. Don't worry. Section 1-1, this is the second time you're getting tested over this. So after this assessment goes in, uh, after you finish this assessment, it's going to go in the grade book. You're going to be asked to name a lot of things. Two questions are on angles, two questions are not. So it could be a plane, a ray, a line, a point, but I don't know, kind of like make sure you know how to name rays. It seems important. You're going to be asked to name all the possibilities. So when naming a plane, remember you can either use three points in the plane to name it in any order. So if there are three points, there's going to be six ways to name it just by the three points. And then if there's a cursive letter, you can also use that. So if you're naming a plane, potentially, 
you're going to have seven different names. For rays, there is only one possible name because the endpoint has to be the first point. For line segments, you're going to use two points, um, the endpoints, and it doesn't matter what order. The point, if you name it, it only has one. And lines can use any two points in any order. So make sure you're using the proper notation over the letters. So, like, remember the line segment has like a, it's going to be the two endpoint letters and it's going to have a straight line over it. For array, it's going to be a straight line with an arrow going to the second letter. For an angle, they'll have the angle in front of it. You're also going to be asked a question similar to the question on one of the first assessments, so make sure you're able to identify angles. Part two, you're going to be asked uh, what kind of angle one of the angles is. Um, so just remember, adjacent angles are angles that share one side. Complementary angles are angles that equal to 90 degrees. Supplementary, 180 degrees. Um, so remember... Um, those words in your definition, vertical angles are straight across. You're going to be asked to use supplementary angles to figure out the measure of an angle. So remember, our supplementary angles equal add up to equal 180 degrees. So you can add both the angles up, set it equal to 180, then solve for x, and then you'll have to plug x back in. Make sure you're finding the correct measure. For 1-2 part 2, you're going to be asked to identify and name parts of the circles. You're going to be asked a true or false section about a true or false question about um, a line segment that could be a chord, a radius, or a diameter. Uh, key hint, a diameter is a chord. So a chord is a line that has two endpoints on the circle. A diameter is a chord, so it has two endpoints on the circle that passes through the middle. And a radius um, has one endpoint on the circle and one endpoint in the center of the circle. Then you're going to be asked to draw something on the circle. For 2-1 and 2-2, you're going to be asked to complete the next two terms. There's going to be two sequences. One is all numbers. One is has some letters, so make sure you're paying attention. For 3-1, you're going to be asked to identify three collinear points. So remember, collinear means they're all in the same line, so you want to name three points that are on the same line. And then you'll be asked to complete a proof. So remember, start with what's given. And then you should end with the solution and you're going to use your properties. So like your addition property of equality, the transitive property, some of those things um, to be able to uh, solve it. So make sure you're filling in the proof. And then for your last section, 3-2, you're going to be asked to name a counterexample to one conditional statement and then underline or highlight the hypothesis of a conditional statement. So remember the if is the hypothesis, the then is the conditional statement. So that is what the quiz is. Um, the quiz review um, assignment that's optional looks super, super similar. So I recommend doing that. Good luck. Let me know if you have any questions. The week two overview done already. What? This is crazy. I feel like the school year is going to fly by so fast. Remember, if you have any questions before the assessment, you can always email me um, as well as look up some videos on YouTube, rewatch my lecture videos and complete any of the homework. By now, all the keys are going to be posted. I'm going to have them posted by Thursday night so you can look at them. But remember, try the homework without looking at the key and do the assessment review. It is optional. I know I said it's optional, but it's going to be super helpful. And some of the things are going to look super similar. So looks like that's it for after class. I guess I'll see you tomorrow in class.